Amen. Well, it's good to see you tonight. Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 14. Tonight, I want to continue with some of the ideas that we were talking about. And I want to give you nine arguments, maybe ten arguments, for the existence of God. Um, look at Psalm 14.1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The idea of someone claiming to be an atheist, notice what it says. It says the fool has said in his heart. He knows in his heart that there is a God. He knows. And the Bible makes it very clear that God has written his law on every person's heart. He's given them a conscience. They know right from wrong. The heavens declare the glory of God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against men. Um, everyone knows. What we're going to go through tonight are just some basic, it'll be a little bit of a repeat, just uh, restating some of the uh, positions for, for maybe two of them. But let's start with this, the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument. It's from the Greek word cosmos, which means the world. And the cosmological argument is the argument from the beginning of the universe. And we talked about some of that this morning. Um, every physicist now believes, now I, you say every, there's probably a kook that doesn't, you know, but, but the, the standard thinking of all physicists who would study this subject is that the universe had a beginning. And here are the, the basically the five points that all secular physicists would agree on. They would agree with the second law of thermodynamics, and that is that everything tends from order to disorder. And so if you had the universe going back infinite time in the past, there would be no energy left by this point. Everything would have run down, the sun would have run down, so it had to have a beginning. Then the expanding universe. With the Hubble telescope and all of that, apparently the universe is just going and going and going. Well, again, if it went back infinitely, it never would have made it to this point. Then um, the radiation afterglow. They find radiation that they can't account for, that they say comes from the Big Bang. We know it's from God saying, let there be light. Right? Then um, the galaxy seeds from the Big Bang explosion. What they see is through the, the, you can find apparently through these telescopes the beginnings of other galaxies somewhere out there. Um, the funny thing is, it is amazing how much trust someone who hates God puts in what they would call a galaxy seed. That means that somewhere out there, there may be another world with people on it, with other life forms on it, and that means there's no God. The things they reach for, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. So those are the fine five lines of scientific evidence that point to the earth having its beginning in the cosmological argument. Now, I want to be very clear about something. All of those things that I just discussed, you have physicists who are naturalists. They don't believe in the supernatural, who have these billions and billions and billions of years. But even in their own thinking, they can't do away with the, with the necessity of God. I don't believe that it all happened billions and billions and billions of years ago. I don't believe that. I believe that it happened just the way that it did. 
but those are the arguments that, that you could even use for them. And then the last would be Einstein's theory of general relativity. And again, all of that would lead to there having to be a beginning. Um, then, there is also undeniable philosophical evidence for the beginning. And those are the things that we covered this morning. Today would have never arrived if there were an infinite number of days before today. Do you all understand that? If there were an infinite number of days in the past, today would never have happened. Is there anyone here who doesn't understand that? Would you raise your hand and just say, I, I, don't, I don't follow that? All right, good, um, because I don't think I can explain it any more than that. Um, so even most, most atheists admit that the evidence shows that there was a beginning. But the interesting thing is, is that most of these atheists would rather crawl naked over broken glass than to admit that God is that first cause. So it's not, the evidence doesn't draw them away from God. It's their hatred of God that draws them away from God. The evidence requires that there be a God. So that's the cosmological argument. The second is the teleological argument, and that's from the Greek word telos, which means the end or the purpose. So it is obvious that everything in the world that we see, there is a purpose to it. And that's the argument from cosmic fine-tuning. Now, it's interesting. Here's what an atheist would say. It just appears to be fine-tuned. Really? It just appears to be fine-tuned. So if our earth was even just a, a tiny bit tilted another way, we couldn't have life on the planet. So is that the appearance of fine-tuning or is that fine-tuning? It has to be fine-tuning. Now, whether or not that happened naturally, that's something for us to discern. But the idea that it's not fine-tuned is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Um, the universe, this is what they would say, that the universe not only exploded into being out of nothing, it did so with extreme precision. And we talked about that today. Isn't it silly to think that an explosion produced the universe that works the way that it does? Um, anybody here ever used a firecracker? Is there more order before it explodes or after? <laughs> before. <laughs> Why is it that you have to suspend disbelief to be an evolutionist? The things that they say are just impossible. Let's go blow something up and see what it produces. I got all these guys back here. They're all for blowing. I love blowing stuff up, too. Let's do it. I, let's go do some experiments right now. Aaron, let's use your car. <laughs> no. All right. <laughs> um, so that's the argument from fine-tuning. So it's obviously fine-tuned. It remains fine-tuned today. It, it, what's so interesting is the people who believe that nothing brought it to this point are the same people that think that you'll destroy it if you use hairspray. <laughs> See, the, one of the reasons I love this is because they mock us for being stupid. And their thinking is, it, it's, it, it is logically absurd. Their positions, they're simply absurd. Um... So, fine-tuning is evident in three areas. The initial conditions of the universe, we talked about that a little bit with contingencies, the, the expansion-contraction ratio. If it was off by just the smallest fraction, 
the world would not exist. But of course, our Creator did it exactly the way that He needed to. Then the laws of nature, the fact that there are any laws of nature, that is, that's fine-tuned. What, by what kind of laws of nature? Things like gravity. If gravity was less, we'd fly off. If gravity was, was more, we couldn't move. Gravity is just exactly right for what we need. Um, then the constants of physics. So the first argument is the cosmological argument. The second is the teleological argument. And then the third is the argument from reason. The fixed immaterial laws of logic and our ability to use reason to discover truths about reality are best explained by a transcendent mind. Let me read that again and then I'll explain it. The fixed immaterial laws of logic and our ability to use reason to discover truths about reality are best explained by a transcendent mind. Now, so many people believe that we are descended from apes, right? And they make movies about it, Planet of the Apes and all of these things. And the only problem is people have studied apes for a long time. Apes don't design iPhones. Apes don't start fires. Apes don't cook their food. They don't do any of those things. They don't use any of the higher functions of logic that we do. And if everything is material, if there's no such thing as an immaterial world, spirit world, if there's nothing that is supernatural, how do you explain the laws of logic, which are completely immaterial, they have no extension in space, they can't be weighed, they can't be measured, and yet we all know that they exist. All right? I can't be a man and a non-man at the same time. I know that people like Bruce Jenner are trying to push that envelope. But the simple fact is you cannot be and not be at the same time. Is that clear? That's a law of logic. How do we know that that's true? Because it's manifestly evident. It's plain. 2 plus 2 equals 4. It can't come out to anything else. That's a law. How much does 2 plus 2 weigh? It is an immaterial concept. So the idea that these immaterial concepts just happened on their own, it is completely impossible. They all point toward a transcendent mind that fine-tuned the universe and established the, uh, the rules of reason. Certainly no material explanation could account for such immaterial realities. Then number four, the argument from information. How much does information weigh? You see the same problem? It's, it's exactly the same issue. And so the argument from information is this. The living world is filled with complex biological information, billions of letters long, sequenced according to specific genetic codes. That's our DNA. It is a, it is a code written down. And we all understand that messages only come from minds. So if you open up a can of, of um, alphabet soup, you all remember alphabet soup? You poured that out. You would never imagine that those shapes occurred naturally. They had to be designed. And if you pour it out and it says, Mom said eat all of it, what are the chances of that happening, just dumping it out? How many times... How many billions of years of dumping out a can of soup would it take for that message to come along? It would never come along. 
because messages require minds. And so to imagine that a three billion letter word that is you and you have that in every cell of your body, to imagine that that just happened, it just strains the imagination to think that it could happen by itself. Do you see how you have to have a religious belief in naturalism? You have to have a blind leap of faith into the dark to believe that. Whereas we as Christians know where it came from. In the beginning was the Word. We're made in His image and His likeness. Imagine that we're made up of a Word. You can't make it up. This is one of my favorite things. I've shown it to you before, but most of you have forgotten it. So let's look at it again. Look at John chapter 21. One of the things that I really want us as a church to believe is every word of the Bible is true. And I think that many times people attribute statements to poetic speech or hyperbole that God intended to be taken literally. All right? So let's, this, is, this is one of those examples, and you'll see people explain this away all the time. So John 21, look at verse 25. Now remember why this is written. Look at chapter 20 and verse 31. This will help you. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So the reason this book is written is so that you can believe in Jesus Christ and have eternal life. Look at the last verse of it. And there are... So that's John uh, 21, 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And so people say, well, He was only on earth for three and a half years. It would take more than all the books of the world. So this is just hyperbole. Well, no, not if you understand what Jesus Christ did. So go to Psalm 139. What I love is the Bible is relevant regardless of the time period because what I'm showing you now could not have been known when the book of Psalms was written. Okay, It could not have been known when the Gospel of John was written. But it can be known now. And all it does is make the Bible more true and more powerful, more amazing. So Psalm 139, and look at what it says in verse 16. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And what are the next three words? And what are the next three words? In thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So what what does God have written in His book? Our DNA. It's an amazing thing. And remember, you have more information in one cell of your body than the entire Encyclopedia Britannica could hold. And so if you take all the people that have ever lived and you extrapolate that out to all the volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica... That's more than the books of the world could contain. And that's only one thing God did, create you. So if all the things that Jesus did were written in the book, I suppose the books, all the books of the world couldn't be written. That's our great God. That is the argument from information. Messages only come from minds. We have to believe that, and I think that that is logically uh, unassailable.
All right. Our repeated and uniform experience shows us that codes and even the simplest forms of information are caused by minds and not natural forces. Then the argument from intentionality. The argument from intentionality. What does that mean? That as a person, you have the ability to make free will decisions, to intend to do things. How many of you have dogs? Anybody here have a dog? Do you think your dog plans his week? You think? Well, maybe if it is, I'm going to play, I'm going to eat, I'm going to play, I'm going to eat, I'm going to get out, I'm going to eat dad's shoes. If, if that's what you call making a plan, then maybe. But the idea that we can have intentionality, that we can choose a path and take that path, that we can, that we can imagine something and then bring that to pass. Intentionality. How does that happen naturally? It can't. So that's the argument from intentionality. This cannot be explained by, the mere, by mere materials, but by the existence of a mind in whose image our minds are made. All right? Then number six, the argument from final causality. The argument from final causality. What is that? The entire natural world experiences goal-directedness from the laws of nature to unconscious living things. I want you to think about something. Um, when you see a tree growing on the side of a mountain, you say, how can that grow? Now, if you've never been to Colorado or a place like that, you'll see a, a, a solid granite wall and there's a tree growing out of it. How is that possible? How does that work? Because seeds, seeds grow. That's, that is the, the idea of, of final causality. Things end up as they were intended to be. So uh, Amanda back there is expecting, all right? What is she expecting? A Volkswagen? No, it's a baby. It's a baby. Now, I've told her not to be surprised if the baby's Chinese because one out of five babies born in the world is Chinese. So you got to be prepared for these things. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Look. It's really important. It's really important that we get this. One of the reasons that macroevolution is so ridiculous, the idea that something that was intended to be a horse became a possum, it's, it's just silly. It's ridiculous. It can't be demonstrated scientifically at all. It's just an idea that people have. And then they religiously worship it. What we now know is that God intended through DNA for everything to become what it becomes. That is the argument from final causality. The points, this points to the sustaining intellect holding the universe together, together and directing unconscious processes and subjects toward their ends. All right? Number seven, the argument from objective moral values. And that's what we were looking at this morning. If objective moral values exist, then God exists. It is certainly more obvious that torturing babies for fun is objectively wrong 
and that love is objectively right than any argument one could offer for atheism. We know, we know that the entire world would agree that torturing a baby is wrong and that love is good. Where do these categories come from? Now, I understand there are people that do uh, human sacrifice and all of those things, and people can, can, be, can become jaded and all of those things. But, but the entire culture would understand that that is wrong and that's evil. All right? Then the argument from evil, if evil exists, then God exists. Not because God is doing evil, but because evil is a privation in good, and good can only exist if God exists. So even evil is an argument for God. Um, then, the last is the argument from science. This argument is dependent on the other arguments that precede it. So we have the ability to do science because of reason, information, intentionality, uh, final causality, etc., which are only possible because God exists. Now, let me, let me just explain that one just a little bit. The reason that people are able to do science the way that they do is because the fathers of all of the modern scientific methods were Christians. And they believed that God was a God of order, and they sought out to discern that order. That's the basis for science. The ability to reason, the idea of this causality, all of those things. You never find a giraffe. Listen, you never find a giraffe producing a turtle. Even the kids. Hear them laughing? The kids know that's ridiculous. You have to go to college for a long time to learn how to believe that. It's ridiculous. So all of these things where you can do genuine and true science, they come from God and all of those reasons that we have looked at already. So we have the ability to do science because of reason, information, intentionality, final causality, etc., which are only possible because God exists. So what can we learn from these arguments? If we reason from effect to cause, and remember, every effect has a cause. Think about that. Every effect has a cause. So if we, if we reason from effect to cause, we can see that the cause must be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial because space, time, and matter were created. Therefore, the cause must transcend space, time, and matter. It must be beyond nature or be supernatural self-existent, and fully actualized. That's infinite. Because a timeless being has no beginning and was not caused by another. Simple in essence, because an infinite being can't have parts. A being with parts would be limited and require assembly by another. Does that make sense? So God, how would you divide God? You can't. Here's a great question. How do you divide the infinite? How do you, what is infinity divided by six? What does that equal? <laughs> now, that's one of those. I went out on a limb. I was hoping there wasn't an answer for that because I really don't know. Um, I wonder if, you know, theoretical mathematicians, you know, what, what they would say about something like that. John Lennox that I like to read after. That's what he does. He would, he would give me some kind of an answer on that. Um, so, it's simple in essence. That means he's one. Personal in order, 
to choose to create, since an impersonal force has no capacity to choose to create anything. So God chose to create, right? That means He's personal. He's personal. Um, an impersonal force, uh, gravity doesn't choose to do something. You know, so when Stephen Hawking said that because gravity exists, the world can create itself out of nothing. Think about that for a minute. Just let that marinate in your mind for a minute. Because gravity exists, the world can, can and will create itself out of nothing. Gravity doesn't do anything. Gravity doesn't choose to create. It just is. So the idea of an impersonal force choosing is an absurdity. And then powerful in order to create the universe out of nothing. Intelligent in order to design and sustain the universe and its processes with such extreme goal-directed precision. Then to author highly complex information like the DNA code. Then provide his creatures with the ability to reason. And then he must be morally perfect as the ground of objective moral values. So let's add up these attributes, the attributes of this being. We have a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, self-existent, infinite, simple, personal, powerful, intelligent, morally perfect, purposeful creator who sustains his creation continually. These are the attributes of the God of the Bible discovered, listen, without reference to the Bible. Isn't it interesting? that when you logically look at the world and then you compare that to the Scriptures, what do you find? Absolute unity. Why? Because all truth is God's truth. Because He is truth. That's the God that we worship. Now, this evidence isn't enough to establish Christianity. It just establishes the fact that God exists. What's necessary for Christianity to be true? Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come. Can I promise you something? God exists. And I know Him. Isn't that a blessing? Anybody else here? You know God? You know God? Amen. Let's all stand together. Lord Jesus, thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, this has been fun tonight, looking at these ideas and recognizing that the universe can't help but reflect You, its Creator. And so, Lord, we don't worship the universe, we worship you.